Welcome to Words and Pictures, the show about the narrative arts. I'm your host, S.W. Conser, and today we're celebrating a return visit from our most frequent guest on the show. He's had a decades-long career as a cartoonist, graphic artist, filmmaker, and fiercely independent animation director. He's also been the subject of a feature-length documentary, Adventures in Plimptoons. Bill Plimpton, great to have you back on Words and Pictures. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. I was in Portland for a few days, but I uh, got caught up in all my family stuff. Well, we're happy to have you at the beginning of our 20th season on the air, and I've lost count of how many times you're on, but you've had uh, more than half a dozen features, and yeah. uh, you're working on a new <laughs> one now. Yes, it's almost done. It's called Slide. Uh, imagine, if you can, Mel Brooks uh, being an animator and making an animated Western like Blazing Saddles. And that's that's sort of the concept. It's not for kids. It has a lot of violence in it. There's a lot of hookers in there and, you know, animated sex. So it's not it's not for children. But I'm very excited because the, the look is very different. It's kind of an old sepia kind of color. You know, it's not black and white, but it's really like old film. And um, it takes place in Oregon. It's about a logging camp up near Estacada, where I, I grew up. And these loggers hang out at this Lucky Buck bar. And uh, the band seems to, uh, uh, this, this mystical cowboy guy, I, uh, I shouldn't say he's a cowboy, he's a musician, he plays guitar. And he plays in the, in the band there. And through his music, he's able to end the corruption in this, this corrupt town called Sourdough Creek. That's what it's called. And uh, it's it's very funny. A lot of great songs with Maureen McKellarin. In fact, I'm meeting with her Monday to finalize the music. We're almost done, except uh, we're running out of money. And so we are planning on going nonprofit. So people who have extra money and they want to get rid of their taxes you know, or, or donate money and not have to pay taxes on it can join in. So my contact information, uh, studio at plimptoons.com, if anybody wants more information about the project, because we're right down to the uh, post-production, and we've uh, got interest in Can. Can wants to see the film very badly, and so I need to have a finished film by then. So I'm working night and day trying to get this film ready to show to Can. So this is the Cannes Film Festival in France that you're looking to go to. Yeah, it's called the uh, Director's Fortnight. It's it's sort of a sidebar, but it's a ve become a very important sidebar. A lot of big-name people have been in, in part of the Director's Fortnight. Well, you've been to Cannes before. You won the yes. 1991 Jury Prize for short films for Push Comes to Shove. Yeah, you did your research. Thank you. You know, that's a funny story. I was when I entered the film in Cannes, Push Comes to Shove, I was right in the middle of doing a feature film, Jay Lyle it was called, and I was in production and everything. Shooting that was a live action film, right? A live action film. And um, they said, oh, you got to go to Cannes. I said, I can't. I'm making this film. I didn't know I was going to get in, you know. So the film was already in production. And so I was watching after a long day shooting. I was really tired. I turned on the TV at home. And sure enough, they had the... Uh, closing the ceremonies of the Cannes Festival and Madonna gets on stage and the winner is Bill Plimpton for her push comes to shove. And I go, what? I'm here in my studio trying to drag through this film and Madonna wants to give me a hug to give me a prize. <laughs> so that's the way it is in independent filmmaking. Sometimes I just, you know, couldn't, couldn't get away from my schedule. 
Well, you did get to go to the Oscars twice. Uh, you were nominated for two Academy Awards, 1988 yeah. for Your Face, and again yeah. in 2005 for Guard Dog. Yes, yes, those those were delightful. That's the the peak, you know, really is the peak, and that's what I'm hoping for this film, Slide, that we get, uh, get into uh, the Oscars because they always pick one or two independent films to go with the Pixar and the DreamWorks and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I got a shot, but who knows? It's a long shot. Well, you, uh, you know, you're okay with the the fact that generally the computer generated imagery film wins. Yes, of course. And I'm aware of that. And uh, I, I don't mind, you know, every time I, I lose at Cannes, I've, I've lost twice. I've lost to a, a million dollar film and my films, uh, as you know, they're independent. So I, I spend maybe $10,000 on the shorts. 5,000 on the short. And uh, it's the same way with the features. I'm going to be up against, you know, hundred million dollar budgets. My budget's about 500,000, something like that. So um, I accept it, uh, but just to be there is, is very cool. Well, you mentioned uh, Maureen McKellarin and she's been working with you doing music for decades now. In fact, you could say most of your animated features have been musicals in a way, but you know you couldn't really compare them to, say, Disney musicals. No, you can't. Certainly can't. Um, yeah, Maureen and I go way back from the early '70s. We met at a bar, I think, um, through another friend, and um, she was, had a band, and uh, she asked me to join it. I play pedal steel guitar, and uh, in fact, so this is the guitar I played in the band. It's called a, a lap steel. It's not really a pedal steel. It's more of a lap steel. It's, it's kind of a slide guitar, but it's a really old and beautiful instrument. So I played the music with Marine's band. It's sort of a country Western band. And uh, we had a lot of fun. We never really took off or anything like that. But as I was playing my music with hers, uh, I fell in love with her songwriting and her, her style of music. Uh, I grew up with country western, you know, from Clackamas County, uh, the rural woods. In fact, my dad listened to uh, Hank Williams a lot. And so there's a lot of Hank Williams in this film. Um, we can't afford to, to buy the music, of course. So our band with Maureen and the Hank Bones are going to mimic the old Hank Williams style, you know, real honky tonk, really crude, rough honky tonk. And that's what I want for this film with the animation. I think it'll be really, really beautiful. So I'm not playing the guitar on this film uh, simply because Hank Bones is really a great guitar player. But uh, we're going down there to Asheville, North Carolina, in about three weeks to to put all the music together. So it's it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, this is Hank Williams Sr. we're talking about. Yes, he was, thank you for clarifying that. He lived fast, died young. He was sort of the um, Kurt Cobain of his generation. He really was, yeah. He was a character. He he liked to drink. He liked to party. He liked to womanize. And it caught up with him. I think he was very young when he when he died, unfortunately, in the back of his, his Cadillac. Well, for many, many years, you were responsible for animated films that would probably merit an R rating a hard R rating, uh, yes. you know, some very popular entries in the Sick and Twisted festivals. I've got a copy of the collection Bill's Dirty Shorts. Yeah, that's my bestseller. <laughs> that's very popular. 
Well, nowadays you're a, a married man with a school-aged child. Are are you all settled down now? How has how has uh, fatherhood well, affected your art? Yeah, um, yeah. My son's name is Lucas, and he loves to draw. He loves to draw cartoons. He wants to get into animation, so that sort of makes sense. So yeah, I uh, I don't party as much as I used to, but I do you know like to celebrate animation. I go to the festivals and usually hang out there. So I'm still still somewhat active, but I spend so much time on these films. For Slide, at one point I was, I was getting up at three in the morning and drawing till seven at night. So it was really a lot of drawing, but I think it's some of the best drawing I've ever done. The characters are so so wonderful and the animation's great and, and the music's gonna be great. So I'm very excited about this film. Now you're working on this with a fellow named Jim Luhan. Yeah, he's co-writing it. Uh, he's a guy I met at the Comic-Con, and we did a film called Revengeance together. That was more his story and characters, and I animated it and directed it. And I really like working with him because his sense of humor is very similar to mine, except it's a lot better uh, in terms of words. He really knows how to use words uh, that, that are funny. And so I figured with my drawing style and his uh, dialogue, we can make a really great film together. Well, you've worked with some interesting people. Uh, Patton Oswald was part of your yeah. short, The Loneliest Stoplight. Yeah, he came by my booth at uh, Comic-Con, and uh, I didn't know who he was because he was wearing a mask. I think he was a pirate. And so I, I said, are you somebody I should know? And he took off his mask and said, oh, my God, it's Patton Oswalt. And I'm a big, big fan of his stuff. So a lot of people I, I meet there, like, like uh, Weird Al Yankovic, you know, people like that. I've been doing a lot of stuff for him. And, of course, Matt Greening, who um, I don't know if I told you the Matt Greening story before. Well, you, uh, you mentioned you're an Oregon boy and uh, wow. you grew up part time in Portland. And that's where Matt Groening grew up. And uh, I know that you've done more couch gags for the Simpsons, the opening sequence for the Simpsons than pretty much anybody else. Yeah, I think I've done seven or so. But what happened was there was a Portland International Film Festival back in 87, I believe, something like that. And I was at Portland State then. And so I went there and this guy was showing all these industrials. And I don't know if you know what industrial is. It's like a long commercial, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And these were hilarious. And I said, oh, my God, you know, he was there. I said, I love your films. They're really funny. He said, well, I got more in my garage if you want to come up and take a look. He lived in the West Hills. And so I walked in the door, and here was this little kid, teenage kid on the floor drawing these cartoons, and that was Matt. And I said, hey, how you doing? I'm Bill. And we became friends, and we've been keeping in touch at festivals and other uh, comic cons for a long time. And, and uh, we were at Annecy, this wonderful festival in France. And we're out in the middle of the beautiful lake, you know, drinking wine, eating baguettes, and sort of just, you know, getting stoned, getting high. And he said, you know, Bill, you should do something for The Simpsons. I said, are you kidding? I would love to do something for The Simpsons. And so he said, why don't you do a couch gag? I said, yeah, let me, you know, show me what I need to do. And, and we did it. And so everybody loved them and, and they kept kept buying them. But I think I'm going to stop doing them because I heard that Disney is really cutting their budget. Uh, they don't have the kind of money that they used to have with Fox. So uh, sad to say, I may not be doing any more couch gags. Well, you actually, um, being part of The Simpsons while they're part of Disney, this is not your first brush with 
with Disney, they called you up some years ago. I think they were working on what would become the uh, feature Hercules. Uh, no, it was uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. It was Aladdin. Okay. Yeah, and uh, there's a scene in there you're probably familiar with it, where the Robin Williams character transforms into all these crazy things. And I just finished uh, your face and went Oscar, get an Oscar nomination. So I said. Gee, I don't know. This guy could be good with transformations. Let's put him on the uh, Aladdin film and d- let him do the genie. So they sent a lawyer to my uh, studio, and he sits down with a big contract. He puts it in front of me and says, Walt Disney Studios wants to offer you a million dollars to work on the, this new film. Actually, they didn't say what it was for. They just said just to work at Disney. And I go, yeah, finally, they see my talent. They see I can I can animate. And then I asked them, I said, well, that's great. This is something I wanted to do ever since I was a kid. Um, can I still do my weird short films on the weekend? They said, yeah, you can do that, but uh, Disney will own those. And I said, well, what if I tell someone a funny joke? Well, that's, that's Disney's. Uh, what if I have a dream? Well, that's ours, too. And I felt like that I would lose control of my my freedom, my humor to make these crazy films, which is what I love to do. And so I, whatever, good or bad, I don't know. I said no. I said no to Disney a million bucks. And this was back in the you know late 80s, early 90s, when a million dollars was a lot of money. And uh, I said, I want to be independent. And oftentimes when things are short, like now with Slide, I don't have enough money to finish my film. But I'm making the film the way I, want, way I want to make it. And to me, that's really important. I want the film to to be like what I imagine, what, what, what my dreams are. And so, yeah, I said no to Disney at a million bucks. Another celebrity that uh, you did a project with, and uh, he's been much in the news lately. Yeah, uh, you, you're you, talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, back in 2009, you worked on a on a book, uh, Through the Wire, Lyrics and Illuminations, with Kanye West. Yeah, yeah. Well, it started with uh, me doing a, um, a comic strip. I'm sorry, no, an animated music video. And uh, he called me up out of the blue, asking if I was the Bill Plimpton who did the, uh, the animations. I said, yeah, that's me. He said, oh, man, I saw him when I was a kid at the... Um, uh, theater, the big theater in Chicago. That's where I grew up in Chicago. And he said, I got a music video I want you to, to do. And apparently um, Michelle Gondry did the first version of that song and uh, Tony didn't like it. So um, uh, he asked me to do it. And the only uh, consideration is it has to be done in a week and there's no oh, week. <laughs> yeah, the, the money's all gone. It went to uh, Michelle Gondry. I said, I'll do it. You're Kanye West. I'll do it. And um, so he came over to my house for a day and a half, I think, something like that. And he he looked over my shoulder and criticized my drawing and said, I think I'm more handsome than that. You got to make me more handsome. So I said, you bet, Kanye, whatever you want, you know. But he was really a nice guy and he's very creative. Really, uh, I do honor his uh his genius um i went to one of his shows and it's very visual and operatic and and just really a great a great he's a great showman and you know i don't know anything about what's going on now with him but but he was very helpful he he organized a gallery show for me which was really fun and then of course that book 
I, the, I did the book for him and that, that was a cool thing too. So I don't talk to him much anymore, but um, um, yeah, he's a weird guy. Yeah. Really very weird. You're listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, SW Counselor. And we're talking today with cartoonist, filmmaker, and animation director, Bill Plimpton. And I should have mentioned, Bill, that you're also an author. Your book, Independently Animated, includes an introduction by Terry Gilliam. That's right. Yeah, that book's uh, doing very well. And plus, another one I had that's more instructional uh, is called Make Tunes That Sell Without Selling Out. And that's, uh, that's very popular. It's actually in its second printing now. So we're very happy about the success of that book. Well, self-financing has been your ethic for yes. pretty much your whole career and um, animating commercials for major clients used to be one of your prime sources of income. Uh, how's that working out these days? Well, not as well. I'm still doing a few commercials. I just finished a Nike ad, but the, the pay was a lot less than it usually is. And I'm doing uh, working on some documentaries, you know, doing animation for documentaries, and that, that pays pretty well. But right now we're selling our original artwork and that's becoming a real surprising source of income for us because the, the stuff I did for The Simpsons, Your Face, How to Kiss, uh, 25 Ways to Quit Smoking, those films are really popular with a lot of people. They remember them. They grew up with them on MTV or on some channel. And so the original artwork is quite valuable now. So that's become a, a savior for my studio. We're really uh, making a lot of money on, um, on the artwork. That's helped a lot. That's right. You still draw all the frames of your films. They're not screen grabs from some computer-generated imagery. That's true. It's, it's all like pen and ink with colored pencil on it. And that's the kind of way I used to draw when I was an illustrator. I used to do a lot of that style of artwork. It's very loose kind of impressionistic and I, I like impressionistic i don't like hard lines and flat colors and uh, i want something to look like it was in a museum you know something that's really really special yeah you've done some experiments with your animation style over the years you tried some vector animation some computer apps like uh flash and toon boom and yeah. um and you just you know it just didn't uh, sort of gel with you so you just you came back to drawing with yeah. pens and pencils. It didn't, look, it didn't look right to me. It didn't feel right. Uh, I felt separated from the artwork because of the computer. And so um, they were popular. They were very funny. They were popular. But I, I stopped doing that just because I missed the pencil and, and the paper. So um, it seems like a dying art, hand-drawn animation, until you you know go to other countries like you go to japan you go to france you go um to eastern europe and you find hand-drawn animation is still a strong thing there but it's it's really fallen out of favor in the u.s uh i think that what's going on is it's diversification i mean you look at henry selick's film or or guillermo de toro's film the pinocchio film those are puppets those are stop motion and of course, as you say, Miyazaki, a lot of the Japanese stuff is still hand-drawn. I think that animation has an audience for every style of animation. I think there's so many ways you can tell stories with different technologies. And um, I think there's space for me to, to tell stories. They're, um, 
It's like going to an art museum and seeing a beautiful drawing on a wall and having it move. I mean, that's really magical. And that, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, when you got started in the 1970s, the animation industry was in a, in a big downturn then. So you ended up doing a lot of cartooning, a lot of graphic art. You were an Oregon boy and you just decided to plop yourself right down in New York City in the midst of all of its uh, crazy anarchy. <laughs> what was that period of adjustment like for you? Well, in a way, it was really uh, dangerous. I mean, there's a lot of crazy people on the street, a lot of angry people on the street. Um, but also, there was a certain freedom that really sparked my imagination. All this craziness was led to a lot of funny ideas. And so I always had a notebook. I carried a notebook around with me. And whenever I saw something uh, funny happening, I, was, um, I wrote it down and I made a cartoon out of it. I think the main thing was just being in New York. All the great artists are here. It was really a wonderful environment for me. But I I kept doing illustrations, you know, National Lampoon, Rolling Stone, New York Times, a lot of the men's magazines, Playboy, Penthouse, and that's how I survived. And it was there that I developed the style that I'm doing now. If you look at some of the illustrations I did for Playboy or for We, you can see the style that, that I'm doing now. And, then, and I was doing caricatures, I was doing political cartoon strips, you know, a lot of different gag cartoons for National Lampoon. But I still had that deep hunger to do animation, to see my drawings move. I, I really wanted to see the drawings move. So that's why in around 1986, I started this film called Boomtown. And I wasn't the creator of it. Uh, it was written by Joe Spiper. Uh, but I did direct it, I did animate it, I did color it, I did all the animation, and it was for free. But I learned how to make an animated film on that film called Boomtown. And the film was actually quite successful. It played in theaters all over the U.S., all over uh, England. It, it did very well. It was a very popular film. And so once I learned that, I said, you know, I'm going to make my own film now, make my own story. And so I... Um, did this guy's face um what happens to him is very uh, surreal and strange and bizarre and the humor comes with the contrast between the boring guy and the craziness of his um, metamorphosized head and i remember the first time i showed it was at a cifa meeting here in um, new york and it was filled with a lot of big name animators here in New York, Blackman and, and all these big name people. And so I was really nervous and afraid to show it because it was really wasn't a traditional film. It had no story. It had one shot. There were no other shots. The song was bad, purposely bad. <laughs> and it just it was a crazy film. And as soon as it started, people started to laugh. And I got to say that. Uh, being an illustrator for 20 years, to hear people laugh at my artwork after all these years was a, a brand new experience because for magazines and newspapers, people took it home and laughed. But here they were laughing as they saw the art and I was in the room. And I, it really was a very fantastic uh, feeling, a really amazing feeling. And so... I took it to Annecy, I took it to other festivals, and it got a lot of awards, and, and also people bought it. And so right away I realized, 
hey, I can make money in animation. And this was the late 80s and animation was just starting to come back now. Little Mermaid was all going on, Akira, uh, MTV was showing a lot of animation. And it's just, it really was coming, coming back in a big way. What's called the second golden age of animation. So um, I just sort of jumped right in there, you know, Spike and Mike and the journey of animation. That's how I, I was able to, uh, to make a living. Yeah, well, uh, back when you first showed up in New York in the 1970s, the hot thing at that time was experimental animation. Yeah, I wasn't into it. Um, you know, all these underground films, you know, Stan Breckage and people like that, I, I found interesting, but essentially boring. And I wanted to do humor. I mean, right about that time, um, th this is when uh, Yellow Submarine came out. And I really went crazy for Yellow Submarine. Actually, it was a little bit earlier. It was like 69, I think it came out. Th that really turned me on to Anna doing an animated feature. That's when I realized that you don't have to be Disney to make an animated feature. If Yellow Submarine could could be an independent film. Of course, they had lots of money from the Beatles. But um, it really inspired me to to look for a new style, look for something different. You know, don't, don't do the Disney style. And Yellow Submarine was... Um, very free form, lots of colors, lots of great design, and that's that really inspired me to to make more animation and and actually even try to make a feature film. Well, you've kept in touch with your friends in Portland, and Portland has become such a hub for animation now. Fantastic. I mean, you get back every so often, and um, yeah, one of your big visits to Portland was in two thousand seven for the Platform Animation Festival, yeah. and. Uh, and you did an event with uh, Joanna Priestley, who is a yes. wonderful person who's known for her yes. abstract animation. And it was a it was a friendly rivalry over whether humorous traditional animation or abstract animation is the way to go. Yeah, I've done that also with Signa Bauman, who's a wonderful animator here in New York. And so it was fun with Joanna uh, because I I really love her. She's been friends of mine for a long time and i've been a fan of her her stuff that first one she did about uh, the self-portrait was kind of like your face and um, and she's a wonderful artist and uh so we went on stage and it was a good crowd as i recall it's pretty good crowd and tore down each other's artwork <laughs> tore it to pieces and uh, i think you need that conflict you know to get people excited well, you've been listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Conser. And we've been talking today with cartoonist, filmmaker, and independent animator, Bill Plimpton. Bill, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm really happy to, to be invited on your show. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't do it in person, but uh, I'm, I'm back in New York. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to let people know about our new feature film, uh, Slide which is now a nonprofit. And if people are interested in helping uh, make the film finish, we, we got about three more months to finish it. They can uh, contact me at studio at plimptoons.com. P-L-Y-M-P-T-O-O-N-S.com. You know, I do want to tell you one more thing. I'm just now starting a animation class. And it's eight parts uh, every uh, Monday night from 6 to 7.30. And I will be showing how I make uh, an animated feature film week by week. It ends in the last week of February. 
and um, did it on Zoom. So it's really a, a new experience for me, and it's it's really fun. And so if anybody does want to become part of these Bill Plimpton Animation Masterclass, it's not too late. Let's see, is there a website where listeners can go to find out more about your films, your uh, film library? Yeah, plimptoons.com. Well, thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web. You can find an archived version of this show later today at kboo.fm slash words and pictures. And be sure to follow us on social media at words and picture. Words and Picture.